I want to talk to you a little bit about the practical side of the powerful in the life of Jesus. I want to help you see from the life of Jesus a little bit, uh, very briefly, that his, the power in his life came from the practical places in his life. From the practical behaviors of his life. Listen, if, if you want, I'm, I'm going to just use tithing as an example for a minute and giving as an example. If you want God to bless you abundantly financially, you have to submit your finances to the directives of his word. If you are abundantly blessed financially, if, 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 if money's just flowing over in your life like nobody's business, and you're not submitting that to the Lord and honoring him with your finances, you are absolutely living below your potential. He is not being able to bless you to the extent that he desires. So even if you are stinking wealthy, if you are unsubmitted to God in the area of finances, you are living below your financial potential on the earth. I guarantee you, you're living below your financial potential on the earth. If you're in a place of struggle and you're unable to submit your finances in those seasons of life when, when life is really small. You know, there are some folks who live for, for, uh, on 1800 bucks a month. And that $180 check is harder to write than a, a guy who has a million dollars and writes a $500 check. You understand that? Jesus said to the little widow uh, of her little mite, you know, that was a, a large offering. But... There's a couple of folks in this room this morning that I've had testimonies this week. They've experienced absolute financial um, miracles in the last few days. Isn't it wonderful when the pressure's off? Because yeah. God just pours into you in, with abundance. It's wonderful. But I just want to challenge you that God's way is the best way. And his way is the only way that blessing is attached to it. And uh, some, most of the time, whenever we begin to honor the Lord in any area of our life, immediately there's a spiritual press against it, and we're like, oh, well, that must not work. No, stay the course. Don't stop just because the devil starts fighting. If the devil starts fighting you, you got his attention. Hallelujah. Give God glory and press on through and break those walls down. He wants to uh, absolutely pour into your life, but you have to position yourself. When, it, when the word says, this is the way I pour into your life, you've got to get yourself there and, and respond to him in obedience and submission and humility and all of that. Now, uh, I just want to share with you, I'm not talking about finances today. I was just using that as an example. Um, we're talking about powerful. I, I, the, the goal of uh, purposeful and practical is to get you to powerful. And if you haven't got yourself to Christianity yet, that's, that's a real goal for us. We want to get you there because we can't get you to anything else in God until we get you to submission to Jesus, to receiving forgiveness of sin and, 
and uh, restoration of all things in your life and taking you back to his original intent for which he created you through the blood of Jesus, all right? So let me just read some scripture to you. I want to ask you a couple of questions. A couple of weeks ago, I was talking to you about uh, prayer and intercession, and I asked the question, is there anybody who's ever prayed with somebody else, something along those lines? Have you ever prayed with anyone else, and they're just so good at prayer that it was kind of intimidating to you? Are you here? I was praying in the prayer room one time years ago with Nelson, and Nelson and Betty were amazing intercessors. But I was, I was just having an anointing moment. I was in there by myself, and I was praying. I was laying it down. And Nelson came in to pray with me, and I didn't even realize hardly that he was in the room. I was just, I was just praying and laying it down. When I got done with my prayer, he said, Man, you pray like a machine gun. Well, on that, that day, I really was. There must have been something pressing on my mind. I was really throwing it down. But then I thought about it. I wonder if I restricted his ability to enter into prayer. The level that we could have entered into together would have been much more powerful than anything I could have prayed on my own. You understand what I mean? So, so if you've ever prayed, you ever, you ever uh, studied the word and, and you're sitting with someone else and you're talking about the word you've studied and they bring something out and you're like, how did they get that? How did they ever achieve that understanding of that little passage of scripture? And I hope you're discovering some of that. We've been talking about looking at things like if and therefore and commas and punctuations and things in the scripture that lead us to a greater understanding of why that passage was written, things that are said in simplicity that we're kind of unpacking. Well, I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, the, the practical side uh, of the life of Jesus um, with a couple things that he said, and we're going to talk a little bit about use prayer as, the, as our launching pad, okay? First of all, John chapter 23 and verse 9. And I want you to write these scriptures down if you're taking notes. I want you to look at them later. John chapter 23, verse 49. Jesus said, I have not spoken on my own authority. You hear those words? I have not spoken on my own authority. But the... F- yes, still turning pages. I'll let you catch up with me. Not 23. I put an extra number in there. You're, yeah, I have a different John than you. No. Uh, I was typing. I was typing, and I'm not a typist. So look that up. It's either 2 or 3 or 32 or 54 or 97. Or... Y'all got your Bible? Google it. Dear Lord. I have not spoken on my own authority. The Father who sent me has himself given me what to say, what I speak. Now, that's not King James, so all you King James people are going to have a hard time finding that. Huh? Okay, so forgive my fingers for typing 23 when it's supposed to be 12. John chapter 12 and and verse 49. Somebody remind me later to change my, correct my notes. Um, Becky, what translation do you have? Read it. 
Okay, so there you are. Those of you that are familiar with King James translation, you have it that way. Uh, this particular translation that I'm using, and I can't remember which one it was, probably New King James or, or um, English Standard Version. I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me what I am to say and what I am to speak. I'm continually reminding you that Jesus said, I say what the Father is saying. I do what the Father is doing. I'm not doing anything that he doesn't tell me to do. I'm moving where the Father's moving. You want to have powerful experience where there is signs following and where God is moving and dealing with the lives of people around you as you walk with Jesus, you need to learn and I need to learn to do what the Father is doing, to say what the Father is saying. Well, part of that is just knowing his word. Somebody was saying in that, in that pastor's training the other day that it, it's easy to understand if something that you come up with in your mind is, is not what God is saying uh, because uh, if, if, uh, if it's contrary to his written word, he won't contradict himself. And this pastor, this lady pastor was saying that she had to correct someone a, a little while back because this lady said, uh, come to her so excited, the Lord told me to, to, to divorce my husband. And she said, no, the Lord didn't tell you to divorce your husband. And he said, yes, the Lord told me to divorce my husband. How do you know that the Lord told you to divorce your husband? Well, I was in worship when he said it. Huh? No. If the Lord sees that you're divorcing your husband, somebody in that relationship has a hard heart and a stiff neck. That's what the word says. No, God's not into ripping lives apart. So Jesus said, I don't speak on my own authority. I'm not saying these words. I'm not making this up as I go along. That's what he said. I'm not making this up as I go along. I'm telling you what the Father told me to tell you. I'm saying to you what the Father told me to say. All right? Now, how did he get, how did he get and maintain that sense of authority and the power that was in him, the power to heal, the power to deliver, the power to uh, uh, bring freedom to people? Let's pray I got this reference right. Luke chapter 6. Some of you Bible scholars, run ahead of me real quick. Luke chapter 6, verse 12 through 16. You have that memorized, or did you just go there quickly? Yeah, okay. In those days, he went to the mountain to pray. Now, if you, if you pay attention to Scripture here, the Scripture is talking about a particular event, and we're going to get into that in a minute. But it says, in those days. So even though we're going to talk about a particular event for a moment that took place after a, a particular season of prayer, the indication in Scripture was that this was his habit. In those days. 
he went to the mountain to pray. In other words, he had established a regular pray, place of prayer in the, in the mountain, uh, and, and it just so happened that one of these times after he came out of that uh, mountain uh, where he had prayed all night. How many ever prayed five minutes and thought, only five minutes has passed? How many ever prayed a half hour and thought, it's only been 30 minutes? And here he's, he's prayed all night. Well, the reason he could pray all night was that he had cultivated an environment of prayer in his life and a behavior of prayer in his life. So he was, he was with God, the Father, who lives outside of time. He wasn't concerned about how long it was taking. He wasn't paying attention. And he probably, when the sun came up, go, wow, night's over? His response, because of how he had been to that mountain so often and how he had been to that place of prayer and he had made that altar in the wilderness so often that uh, all night was not a big deal to him. You'll find as you cultivate an environment of hearing from, hearing from God and enjoying conversation with him and his voice. Uh, I was praying at one point this week and, and uh, just spending time in the presence of the Lord and I look and, and, and at the clock and it's midnight. I'm like, whoa, I probably should go to sleep. i got stuff to do tomorrow. But I'd so enjoyed his presence and hearing from him, and much of what I'm hearing from him is correction and instruction. If you're praying prayers of repentance, you don't always hear easy things from God. I'll tell you something. Uh, you, you'll love this because I'm your pastor and, and you know I want Church of Living Water to flourish and I want us to do great things in the earth and I want us to accomplish what God wants us to accomplish. Part of that is, is, is growth. Just growth. New people are going to come in that we disciple and raise up. And, and some of those transitions that I see coming that bring us to the place that we do that effectively are, are, are ever before me and ever before the Lord. And, and, I, and I'm not... Size, uh, the size of a group of people isn't an issue to me, nor is it an issue to God. But the way I'm praying, I'm saying, Lord, uh, uh, bless Church of Living Water. Uh, God, put your fire and your zeal upon us. Put the strength of the Lord in, in, in this people and cause them to, to be renewed and refreshed in you and, and cause, them to, cause them to do the work of the kingdom and cause us to influence and impact our city for you and change the, the spiritual environment of our city and all this kind of stuff. And the Lord says, the Lord says to me, why are you praying that way? I'm like, aren't I supposed to, God? Isn't it correct to ask for you to move in the people that I'm leading and, and in the city where I'm planted to serve? And he says, when are you going to ask me to do that for you? Now, I've asked him to do that for me. That wasn't what I was praying in that moment. But the Lord was bringing my prayer back from what's out here in my life to what's right here. He said to me, let's talk about you. Okay, he wasn't correcting me. He, wasn't tell, he, said he, didn't, he didn't tell me not to pray that way. He said, right now, Anthony, I'll do that in them, but let's talk about you. Because let's get you where you need to be because they're following you. Wow. And then, and then at another point in that prayer, I'm praying and, and I'm talking, uh, talking to the Lord about how I want us to flourish and develop and all of this. And he says, 
Are you wanting that because it's, it's good for the house of God? Or are you wanting that because when you're around other pastors and leaders and they ask you how things are going, you want to have a good report? Just, just, just the Holy Spirit checking the motive of the heart. You know, I have to fill out a, a report occasionally when I do it. I'm supposed to fill out a report for the bishop. So he's aware, as he prays for us, of how things are going here. And the Lord says, "Are you wanting that to go good? Are you wanting that to go good because, because you want me to move, or are you sure you just want things to really look good on that report?" Well, I said, Lord, when the report looks bad, I don't generally fill it out and send it in. <laughs> uh, I'm, occasionally, I'm occasionally quite delinquent with that report. <laughs> he hasn't cut me loose yet. I used to just send Bishop Halverson an annual report. Because you can be positive about 12, you can find something good out of 12-month period. <laughs> Don't tell me the bad stuff, just tell me the highlights, good stuff. <laughs> yeah, if you want my report, read Facebook. So we only put the good stuff there. If you're displaying all your bad stuff on Facebook, close your account. Close your account. <laughs> I saw somebody posting one time, that horrible husband of mine. And I'm like, Seriously, take that down. That's a message for another day. Luke 21, uh, 37. Every day he was teaching in the temple, but at night he went out and lodged in the mountain called Olivet. Every day he was teaching and he was pouring out of his life. But at night, he went back to that altar he had built. And he laid before the Lord. Put his face in the ground. And he cried out for the purposes of God in the earth. And he prayed that he could cultivate his own hearing so that he could hear the voice of the Lord. I know that he asked God to help him to hear clearly because otherwise he would not have been able to. I know that he asked God to do his purpose and his will in his life, or otherwise uh, he would not have had clear understanding and clarity of purpose. When, when, when he got back to that mountain the night before crucifixion process began, you read that prayer, all of his prayer life had built him to the point that he was graced by God for that moment in life. You need to be graced by God for some moments that are ahead of you. And you know when life gets difficult and we get so devastated by it, part of the reason that we're so devastated by it is that because we have not prepared in communion with God to be graced for those moments. Those moments of hardship are coming whether you want them or not. Jesus said, in this life you will have trouble, but fear not, I've overcome the world. The point is, come hang out with me, and when those seasons happen, you'll be graced for them, and they won't devastate you. Will they be easy? No, I don't think so. Anytime there's disappointment, there's disappointment. Let's be honest about it. 
I don't want to be the kind of person that's experiencing a moment of disappointment and someone who's close to me comes up and say, how are you doing, Anthony? And I'm going, fine, praise Jesus. I'm just overcomer, glory to God. When, when I'm talking to someone that I'm in a relationship with, that, has, that relationship has been cultivated to the point that I can say, you know, I'm really going through some stuff right now. Would you, would you just kind of help me carry that? And if I'm in that, and if I'm talking to someone, now, now if I'm talking to a guy in a grocery store and they, they don't know me from Adam, I'm not throwing my news in front of them going, oh, it's just terrible right now. But if someone says, how are, how are you doing? and you're in a relationship with them, a trusting relationship with the presence of God in the middle of it, you ought to be able to be a little bit transparent. We're Christians. We lie to each other all the time. Church full of hypocrites. You ever heard anybody tell you they don't go down there because full of hypocrites? I always tell them, well, no, if you did, there'd be one more. Come on. No, we're just not perfect people. We're just redeemed. But we need to to learn to be transparent about the things that God is working out in our life. But he will grace you for those moments, even if they are devastating moments. He'll prepare you ahead of time for those moments. Even if he doesn't describe to you what's coming with some kind of clarity, he'll have you prepared to walk through it when it's time. If you'll let him. Now, I'm going to read two or three more passages of Scripture that all of you have read, and some of you will tell us, if we were to let you give testimony to it, that this is not exactly what you see being played out in your life. Okay? You ready? Matthew 21, 22 says, Whatsoever you ask in prayer, you'll receive it if you have faith. Anybody ever prayed something you felt like you had faith for and you didn't get it? Would you conclude with me that that probably is not as much dependent upon God's response to your prayer as it is dependent upon what's going on with you? It's never God's fault if I can't get my prayer answered. It's my fault. Somewhere it has something to do with something he's trying to work out in me. I need to pay a little bit of attention. So, listen to what James chapter 4 says. You guys will just love this. You have desire, and you do not have. So you murder, you covet, yet you cannot obtain. In other words, you strive. You strive. They'll do horrible. How many, how many have ever met some of those people who would do anything to get what they want, no matter who they had to step on to get there to get it? You ever encountered some of those folks? And certainly in business, you've encountered some of those folks. Yeah, anybody related to one of them? Y'all are at least related to one of them. Anybody ever divorced one of them? No, don't. You desire and you don't have. You murder and you covet. Now murder, when he talks about murder here, the Bible says that we murder with our tongue. It's the things we say. It's not that you put a gun in somebody's head or you stuck a knife in their belly. It's that with your words, you destroy. With your words, you, you covet. But yet, somehow, you, you seem to not be able to obtain. So you fight and you quarrel. 
Anybody hear that sound like home? Don't, don't, don't raise your hand on that one. You do not have, first, because you do not ask. So what, some folks don't have simply because they don't ask. I had to really be corrected. Y'all have even heard me say this before. There are times when I ask God for things and then I never ask Him, I never ask him about it again. I just, I just praise Him for it. I'm not one to repeatedly, repetitively ask God for anything. You know, He corrected me for that. There's times when He wants me to ask, like that persistent widow going before that judge. Oh, you didn't get what you want? Ask again. Oh, press right on in there and ask again. You, you realize that the, the word of God in, that, in the context of that story in, in the Bible is telling you to be pushy with God? Yes. Push your way in when you know that what you desire is correct according to his word. Everybody knows that God wants their children to be saved. Sema has a, wave everybody, Sema, our, our wonderful, Sema has a very clear understanding that her children are to be people who walk with God. She talks about it all the time. She adores them and prays for them and puts the word of God in their hand and, and tells them about Jesus and declares to the Lord, my children will walk with God. Okay, you don't have to question whether or not that's God's desire because he said your whole house. That's what the word says. Your whole house. So you don't have to, when you know that what you're asking God for is righteous request, a right request, you can be pushy with God. Not disrespectful, pressing into his presence. God, I know this is as important to you, maybe more important to you than it is to me. Lord, please work this out in my life or in the lives of my children or in the lives of my loved ones or, or in this circumstance that I'm facing. Okay. So first, the first person that he refers to does not have because he simply doesn't ask. You ever have one of your kids want something, they never said it to you, and then when you realize it, you're like, why didn't you talk to me about that before now? How come you waited? I had to tell Victoria because Victoria is not one to ask for anything, and I, and I would tell her, honey, if things are tight, say something to me before you're at a crisis point. If things are difficult, say something to me before you reach a crisis point. You know, I said, yeah, Dad, I know, I know. Then the next thing I hear, she's in a crisis and she hasn't said anything. I've come, come on, honey, before you get to a crisis point, speak with me. You know what? God's teaching her to communicate with the Father. Don't wait until things are terrible to have a talk with God. Have a talk with God while things are wonderful. Get in the habit of talking with God while things are great and wonderful. Then when things go south, you and he have are already have a relationship going and you've got some difficulty to face and he'll walk right through, through there. It's, you cannot prepare for crisis in one. You just simply cannot. I better move it along here. So, then he says, another person, you ask and you don't receive because you ask incorrectly. One translation says to consume it on your own lust. This translation that I'm reading says to spend it on your own passion. To you ask so that you can obtain, so that you can fulfill your own desire. 
And the Lord's, I'm not answering that prayer. That's why he asked me about my motive. Anthony, would you search your heart and make your motive pure? You know what? He wants to bless us abundantly. He wants this church to flourish. He wants this church in this city to rock their world. But you can do all the right things for the wrong reason. And he wants to know that from the very uh, core of who we are, that our passion is that people see Jesus, not that they see us. He wants to know that, that not only do we want to preach the gospel and bring in the harvest, but we want to do it in humility so that God is glorified and we are not. And you know, whenever I was in that season of prayer and I was praying through that and, and God began to check my heart and my motive and I began to, to submit my heart to Him and make sure my heart was pure, when I was praying in the Spirit and all of a sudden what began to come out of me was, Lord, when my day is done and when my season has passed and when my children are standing around my, uh, my body and they're getting ready to lower me in the ground, Lord, would you let the things that be said of me, let it be the things that you did and not the things that I did. Let it not be, Anthony did this and Anthony did that. Let it be because he was obedient to the Lord. God did this and God did that and God changed this life and God changed that and God met this. Let that story of my life be what Jesus did. That began to come up out of my prayer life. Oh God, I don't care if they know my name, but I certainly care if they know yours. I don't know if they, they, I don't care if they know my face or see my face, but oh God, if they look at me, if they look at my history and my life and my story and they see your face, oh Jesus, then I will have been successful. If somebody who comes in contact with me goes on with their life and their story is, look what God has done in me. I have been successful. If at the end of my life all they talk about is what Anthony accomplishes, I'm an utter failure. I will have failed completely in the assignment of God that I have in the earth. Unless at the end of the day, between March 12, 1961 and, and whatever that ending date is, if that dash in between those two dates is not Jesus, I have utterly failed. Now listen to this. I have a promise for you from God. And then we're going to have a little bit of practice. Presence of the Lord. John 15 and 16. You did not choose me. You did not choose me. I chose you. Would you forever settle in your heart? If you've had a horrible upbringing, if mom and dad told you how terrible you were, if people in your life told you that you would never accomplish anything great, if they said all those things about you, would you forever lay them down and say, but Jesus chose me. I don't know why he picked me. I don't really care anymore. He picked me. I have this pastor friend of mine. Some of you know Joe Connor. He pastors just south of here. And Joe's been at that church for 80, I mean 40, 50 years, not 80 years. He's, he's probably, maybe he's been there 80 years. Joe went as a, as a temporary uh, pastor placement in that church. He's still there today. He's been there his whole life. Joe has uh, some deformities in his mouth. I, I don't know if I 
had to deal with what Joe deals with. He has a cleft palate that in those days they didn't do good surgery on them. They just had to live with them. You can see his teeth, and, and his teeth aren't really all that good because he's, you know, he's 80-some years old, and they're about to fall out and all that. And it's very um, distracting to have a conversation with Joe because of, of that for anyone who doesn't know him. And he's pastored and preached the word his whole life. I would have been so intimidated by that. And I think Joe would have never picked Joe to preach the word and be in public ministry. But so many people walk with God because Joe obeyed God. So many people's lives have been changed that the stories are endless because this precious brother said, well, I don't care if I'm not pretty. I only care that Jesus is great and that his name is to be praised. And he has spent his life declaring the gospel and leading people to Jesus and discipling people because he chose to do what God said regardless of what anyone thought about it. Now, Joe was never going to amass great following of people. He's only going to do what God told him to do. He's the most tender, amazing man of God. So rich with an understanding of what it means to obey the Lord. Because Joe didn't pick Joe. Jesus did. And when you know him and you love him and you spend time with him, you stop seeing all that and you just start seeing Jesus. Suddenly that doesn't matter anymore. You just see Jesus, right? God will cover up and glory your imperfections with his presence. Well, none of it matters. Benjamin said, hallelujah, you're really mad right there. All right, I want to ask you some questions. We're going to have some, some response time here in, in your heart. According to this question, you have writing, something to write with. I want you to ask yourself this question. In what circumstance am I continually not saying what the Father is saying? In what, I want you to ask the Lord this. I want you to take a minute. I want you to ask the Lord, Lord, in what circumstances in my life am I continually saying things that you're not saying? That might be some of you parents, you might be saying some things to your kids that the father is not saying. You might be some, saying some things over your finances that the father simply isn't saying. If you're a believer and you're in a hard time, do not go around and say, I am always so broke. That's not what the father's saying. Now, you might be experiencing a season of time where things are difficult financially, but don't keep declaring, I'm always broke. You're preparing the season ahead of you for always broke. Stop that. So I want you on your, on your note paper, Lord, are there any things that I'm saying It's always coming out of my mouth that you're just simply not saying? Let's just take a minute in the presence of the Lord and ask him that question. Lord, we praise you. Lord, would you show us for a moment if there's places in our life where what's coming out of our mouth is not what you're saying. I'm going to give you a little example while you're praying there, while you're meditating on the Lord in this area. When people ask me why I'm traveling to the four corners of the nation, I'm really just telling them my history when I'm answering that question. We, 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 we were not people who wanted to travel. I've been in Estonia twice, and 
Ukraine once. And those trips were difficult decisions for me at best. I enjoyed my time there. I loved that. I did a night flight, red eye, to Maine. I left here at 7.30 on Sunday evening, and I changed places, planes twice and arrived in Portland, Maine at 9 a.m. How many understand that's not fun? Not, there's not really anything fun about that. And then when I got to Portland, I had to rent a car and drive for an hour after I'd been up all night. It's not fun. There was a grace over it. I wasn't disturbed by it or bothered by it. Had a great Monday after I got to Augusta. I probably slept two hours on the plane with some lady crunching next to me. It was just really weird. <laughs> I mean, I understand that's not fun stuff, but there was a grace. But my response, the things I say, was say, I found myself saying to people, you know, I, we don't really embrace travel. You know what I heard the Holy Spirit say? You need to stop saying that. If I'm going to grace you for what I'm asking you to do, stop saying that you're not embracing that. So just stop. So I thought, well, if I can't say anything good, I'm not going to say anything at all. So I just say, I'm here because God sent me. And explain what I'm doing. Started answering the question differently. Lord, what am I saying that's coming out of my mouth? What am I saying over my children? What am I saying over my future that's coming out of my mouth that is not from you? Are there areas in my thinking where I need to come to new conclusions so that I can say what the Father is saying? What does that mean? There's, there's places in your thinking where your experience has formed your opinion instead of God's word forming your opinion. So Jesus said, I only say what the Father is saying. He wasn't speaking out. How many understand Jesus was not speaking out of his experience? I wonder what his, when he told the story of being eight years old and, and his parents leaving the city without him and being three days journey out and thinking he was with his cousins or with his aunts and uncles or whatever, and they realized Jesus isn't even with them. And he's back in the temple confounding the words of the, to his, his words were confounding the wisdom of the wise. He had spent two nights in the temple. And those guys were like, where's your mom and dad at? I don't know. Well, we got a pallet over here. Then just lay down. They'll, they'll eventually come looking for you. I wonder what it was like when he told that story. Because there is in that story some mama was really mad. My dad was about to light me up. But the Bible tells us he was confounding the wisdom of the wise. That was God's perspective on that moment. God's perspective on that moment was not that mom and dad were upset or that they were feeling a sense of loss. They just left their son in a big city and they didn't know where he was and how, how much, that, how, how horrible, how, anybody ever done that with your kids? How horrible you feel as a parent. Mary went all the way back to Jerusalem. Mary was like, God, why in the world did you pick me to parent this kid? I lost him. Can you imagine the moment in her life? And Joseph was going, it'll be okay, honey. We'll find him, we'll find him. He's purposed of God. And then he's going, God, what kind of father am I? 
He's trying to help and encourage her, and the whole time he's thinking, I'm such a loser. You know, that's flesh. But what was God saying? What was God's perspective on that moment? Where can I adjust time and life to have more personal, intimate prayer and discipleship? You need to ask the Lord that. I discovered that people don't pray, particularly because when you pray, you, you, it's like looking in the mirror, just like the word. Prayer becomes that mirror of you see yourself. Most people don't want to see themselves. Come to prayer? Are you kidding me? If I go to prayer and I start seeing myself for who I really am, that's extreme. How, how many understand that's extremely intimidating? God starts talking about, to me about stuff that I don't want you to know about my doubts and my fears and my frailties, things I don't want the general public to see. And then I get like the disciples, when they, when they tell their stories, they tell all their stuff. They don't hide anything. They just tell on each other. Paul says, I got up and I laid into Peter right in front of everybody because Peter was being uh, uh, hanging out with the Gentiles and, and eating whatever they put in front of him when, when the Jews weren't around. And then here come Jewish leaders and old Peter's over there with the leaders. You know what he was doing? Scum of the earth, scum of the earth. Uh, I'm hanging out with the big, the big guys here, right? That's what Peter was doing. Paul called him on his stuff right in front of everybody. Then they write it in the word of God. I let Peter have it because he deserved to be corrected. You don't see Peter responding to that in any negative way. Peter's like, yeah, that's the way it went down, folks. In that passage that I read to you where Jesus it says, in those days, he went out to the mountain to pray. Luke 6, verse 12. He went out to the mountain to pray all night. He continued in prayer to God. And then when he came, he called his disciples. The next verse says, when he came, he called his disciples to them, and he chose from among them 12. You realize he did that after, he made one of the most critical decisions that he would ever make in the life of his ministry after a night of prayer. Do you understand what that is telling us as people about the, the, the time and the seasons when we have to make critical decisions? You know what we do when we have to make critical decisions? We go, Lord, help me make a good decision here. And we go on into the decision. Instead of being a season so that he actually has time to talk to us. And rehearse with us and, and search out our, help us to search out our own heart and our own thinking and our motives and our understanding. And then we make a bad decision. We get on the other side of that and we're like, oh God, I ask you to tell me. And he's like, you did not sit with me 10 minutes. You didn't hang out with me long. I was talking, you weren't listening. What we're saying is, oh God, I really want this. Please, if it's really, really bad for me, don't let it happen. Give me the contract quick before he speaks. We have to take time with the Lord. 
But Jesus made decisions after praying, Lord, what are some of the things I need to talk to you about before decisions are made? Do you know I have heard young people that were not married pray that the person they were looking at was the right one? Oh God, please let it be her. Please let it be her. Oh God, is it, is it her? Is it her? Please tell me if it's not her, but let it be her. <laughs> now, can God really answer that? Let it be her? That's, that's simply not the right prayer, is it? Lord, lead me correctly and don't let me make a poor decision here. If you're binding us together, uh, please show me that you're binding us together. And if you're not, please, 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 uh, I want her to be with the man that God's called her to be with and I want to be with the lady that God's called me to be with. Please lead me and direct me. That's definitely one of those selfish prayers that you would have prayed to consume it upon your own lust. Let it be her. I've seen people have someone break up with them that they were thinking about marrying and it made them mad and they're believers. Do you believe that your steps are ordered to the Lord? Then you can't get mad when Jezebel walks away. <laughs> Did I actually say that? God goes up, oh Lord, lead me, lead me, lead me. Then he starts making changes in your life and your response to that is, what are you doing? <laughs> I'm trying to lead you, Jack. Walk with me. You see, you understand where these scriptures ought to be taking our thinking and how we ought to be responding? A couple more questions and we'll go, we'll go home. Um, Lord, here's, here's a question. I want you to ask the Lord this. Lord, are there things you are waiting to give me that I have simply not had the faith to ask for. Lord, are there, are there blessings you're wanting to bring into my life and I, they're not even on the, the scope, uh, the screen of my imagination. If you said you have not because you ask not and then you don't have because you're asking incorrectly, are the things that are on the screen of my mind that I'm desiring the wrong things, and are there things that you want to bring into my life that I'm not even considering? Well, how many, how many understand that in order for God to give you what you want, he might have to take from you what you have? If your hands are full, you might need to empty them out for him to put in your hands what you need. But we get all weirded out when he starts taking from us to make a room for capacity to receive. Laura will tell you I was very much that way because and I, I'm not going to go into the whole story about what, when I lost a job at Christmas time. I come in all freaked out and she's like, Hallelujah, God has given you time to remodel my kitchen. I, I got home, and before I got to a chair, I had a hammer in my hand because she said, this time is ordered of God. We're not going to bemoan the fact that that paycheck is no longer coming in. We're going to know that God has a future for us. Remodel my kitchen. Merry Christmas to me. Okay, are we going to trust God to lead us or not? 
If we're going to trust God to lead us, we have to be willing to ask ourselves some very difficult questions and make the personal assessments and tune our ear to hear his answer. Then, I'm out of time. Listen, is there anyone standing here, you've ever had that moment where you thought, God doesn't even want to talk to me? Come on. Seriously, you can answer that. God doesn't want to talk to me. God doesn't want, not, not, only, not only does he not want to hear what I have to say, he certainly doesn't want to talk to me. Can I take out the big spiritual eraser of the Holy Spirit and erase that thought from your mind right now? Listen, you did not choose me. I chose you. Now, did he lie or do you believe what he said? Part of repentance, being willing to hear from God and ask the hard questions. Are there areas in my life that are unfruitful? They're having a negative impact on my ability to receive from you. When you ask yourself that question, he's going to bring correction. But see, correction isn't, y'all, y'all have a, y'all, hmm, I'm so in trouble today. Y'all have a, an unbiblical sense of what correction is because you were raised by parents who got out of strap and laid into you if you did something wrong. No, that's discipline to help you remember next time. Lori's tell Angela, I'm going to give you spots, honey, because then I will help you remember that you don't want them again. Okay, mom. Okay, mom. She don't get those anymore. She don't want them, so she don't get them anymore, right? You don't get them anymore. She don't want them. She's totally awesome, Laura said. So she used to say, I'm going to, so that, that's discipline. That's not correction. Correction is, sweetheart, this is what you're doing. And this is what I want you to do. When God corrects you, he's not coming up and pounding on your head. He's not slamming you against the wall. He's saying, sweetheart, this is what you're doing. And I can't work in that. This is what I need you to do. If you're not willing to hear correction, then you are setting yourself up for discipline that will get your attention so he can bring you correction. Correction is just that if you're driving down the road the wrong way and you need to go the other way, you find a safe place to make a U-turn and you get turned around. That's correction. That's correction. Be willing to receive the correction of the Lord. It is a prideful person that will refuse correction. Correction is refused only out of pride. Receive correction. Then you don't have to receive discipline. Nor do you have to pick some fruit you don't want to eat. Most discipline comes out of picking fruit we don't really want to eat. 